Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. Due to the coronavirus crisis, we're holding church services online until further notice, and we encourage you to join us. Tune in on Sundays at one of our four online broadcast times, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 3 p.m., or 8 p.m. For info and updates, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at New Life SoCo and visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's an encouraging word. We're so glad you're here. I'm so thankful to be able to still be connected with us wherever we are. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to live a spirit-filled life? You know, that is God's will for every single one of us, that God was not satisfied to just send Jesus, that God said Jesus is going to ascend back to heaven, but he was going to send his spirit to reside in all of us, that every single one of us can have the Spirit of God in us, but also flowing through us. And so we're going to pick up right in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to add another layer to what it means to live a Spirit-filled life. You know, we talked about last week how the Holy Spirit came upon the first believers, and it came like a, like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it also came with tongues of fire. We talked a little bit about, you know, the, the meaning of wind and fire last week, how the Spirit comes to breathe fresh life over you, but also it comes to deposit His power upon you to be His witness. And that uh, fire comes to cleanse, to purify, to purge. And so right after the Holy Spirit fell, people begin to experience the presence of God. And Peter preached the first message post-Jesus. Peter is the first one to get up and preach because, remember, there was different uh, uh, people answering different ways to the Holy Spirit. There were some that were praising God, and there were some that were laughing and saying, these people are crazy, they're just drunk. And Peter was like, how can we be drunk? It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. If you're, not, if you're drunk at 9 in the morning, you got some serious problems. And that's, we're going to pray for you exactly where you are right now. But Peter was like, listen, there's no way we're drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and he began to preach about Jesus. He began to tell them how God had already predetermined his day to come, and he prophesied through the prophet Joel, going back even hundreds of years before, and telling them how the Spirit of God was going to come and, and rest upon all people, that old men were going to dream dreams, and, and young men were going to prophesy, and the Spirit of God was going to come in a powerful way and change lives the way he's doing right now. I love hearing the reports of how the Spirit of God is visiting people in their homes right now. And one of the things that stood out to me from last week, a woman said, as we were preaching last week, she felt the wind of God's Spirit in her home. How awesome is that? Some people are beginning to speak in tongues in their own, uh, uh, in their own houses right now. So it's so cool to see that God is not confined to a building, but God is visiting people exactly where they are. And so Peter preaches this powerful message, and people begin to say, okay, now what do we do? How do we respond to this message? And Peter said, well, what you got to do is you got to repent and be baptized so you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, that day the Bible says that over 3,000 people got saved. And that was the birth of what we call the church. This was it. This was the beginning of the church. Over 3,000 people, not counting women and children. So historians say it was probably something between five to 7,000 people if you counted all the women and children that came into salvation that day. So they went from 120 disciples to over 5,000 people, and that's what we call the church. My friends, the word church simply means the gathering of believers. 
That's what the word church means. It's a gathering of God's people pursuing him, just like we're doing right now. So no matter where you are right now, you're having church. Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm right there, right in the midst of them. And so this was the beginning of what we call the church community. And so I'm going to pick up right from there in Acts chapter 2. So Peter preaches, people respond, and then this was basically the beginning of what we call a community of people called the church. So verse 42 in chapter 2 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44, And all the believers met together in one place, and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship of those who were being saved. How awesome is that? This is the birth of the church that we have today. And what we've been doing, I hope you understand this, all we're doing is kind of tracing back our lineage. We're going back to go forward. There's a saying that if you want to know where you're going, you need to know where you came from, right? And so this is what this journey is all about. We're tapping back into the legacy that began over 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, that the church will be birthed through these amazing disciples in the beginning, but it will continue with the rest of us. And so today, I want to talk to you about the reality that when you are spirit-filled, and every believer is meant to be spirit-filled, then it leads to having a spirit-filled community. Right? It's not enough for one person or two, pe- or two to be spirit-filled. Is that it, God wants all believers to be spirit-filled. And once all believers are spirit-filled, then we're going to have what we call a spirit-filled community. And if you took notice of today's reading, a spirit-filled community has certain ingredients, right? And these are the same ingredients that God wants us to have today. No matter where we meet as God's people, no matter where you go to church, these are the key ingredients that every single community should have when it comes to the way that we do church. Now, we all have our preferences. We all have our styles, right? Some of us like old school hymns. To be honest with you, I'm an old soul. I like old school hymns. When I'm worshiping by myself, I like hymns. That's where, how I get down, you know? But I know for some of us, you know, we, we, we like Hillsong and some of us like Bethel, right? Some of us are like, who is Hillsong? Who is Bethel? <laughs> I don't even know who these people are, right? But it's all the different styles of worship that we have. But it never was about style. It was about the key ingredients, Right? I love that God doesn't tell you necessarily how to make a cake, but God will give you the ingredients to make a cake. Right? And everybody has their own way of making the same cake. Right? It could be chocolate cake, but everybody has their own touch. Right? But the ingredients are usually pretty much the same. And if you're paying attention today, what we read was the ingredients of a healthy, spirit-filled community. Right? And I want to give it to them, to you real quick, and then we're going to break them down. But here's, here's what we just read. We read that they were devoted to these specific things. First of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
which is the word of God. The preaching and teaching of God's word is the first ingredient. The second thing is they were devoted to fellowship. Fellowship is such a weird word for me. Like the fellowship of the rings or something. But it's always one of those weird words. But basically fellowship just means that they were together. There was this togetherness, doing life as one people. That's what the word really fellowship really means. I wish we can get away from some of these weird words, but that's basically what it means. Bunch of fellows on a ship, you know, just having, doing life together. Sorry, a little church joke there on the side. The next ingredient that you see that was critical to the community then is critical to us today is prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer, right? And then we see that out of a devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, they begin to see signs and wonders. They begin to see miraculous things happen in their community. They begin to uh, become a very generous people. Generosity was a staple in the first community of believers, and it should be also a staple in us believers today as we gather, right? And then the Bible says they were filled with joy, right? Like the joy of the Lord should be part of the community of God's people, Right? Even in the middle of a crisis, we should have joy. Because joy should not be confined to what's happening. Joy is the fruit of God's spirit in all of us. Right? So I pray joy over you right now where you're watching from. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Can you say amen? amen. And then the Bible says that they kept growing. Right? Wherever God's spirit is, there's growth. Right? You don't remain the same. You keep growing. But he says they grew in numbers. Why? Because God wants all people to be saved. God wants more and more people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's why we never end a broadcast without giving you a chance to make Jesus Lord of your life. Why? Because he wants you to become part of the community called the church. He doesn't want you to just be a face in the crowd. He wants you to be in the community and become part of what he's, what he's doing on this, in, on this world. And so, my friends, I want to take a moment to kind of break down each one of these ingredients because no matter where you go to church, again, God doesn't tell you how to bake a cake. He gives you all the ingredients. But every church, I believe, has a specific, unique calling about fulfilling these ingredients, right? We all have given the ingredients, and we all kind of just begin to make the cake that God has for each one of us. And I want to talk about the reality that here at New Life, we do our best to do these things in the way that we believe God has called us to. And then there's churches down the street who have the same ingredients, they just do it in a different way. But the beauty of this is we're baking the same cake. You can't get anything else from this message today is go bake a cake because I think I might be hungry or something, but that's the analogy that keeps coming to heart and mind today. So the first thing is the apostles' teachings, right? If you're taking notes, it basically means that they were devoted to God's word, right? The word devotion, I hope you're taking notes, The word devotion means commitment. It means loyalty. And it means that I am passionate about a specific thing. And so the Bible says that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Basically, they were devoted to the teaching and preaching of God's word. That's why we don't go a week without preaching God's word. Why? Because the word of God has power to bring freedom, to to bring deliverance, to bring breakthrough, to bring salvation to bring renovation of mind and heart and spirit. It's how we renew our minds. It's how we get in tune with his will and his purpose. And so we don't want to get together to just sing Kumbaya. We want to get together to hear the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God, right? And the Bible says, how are they going to know if no one preaches? 
right? And so we have to preach the gospel on every single situation that, that we afforded. We're going to continue to tell people about the good news of Jesus. You know, here's something that I've been thinking so much about. Because we live in a day and age where you can, you can listen to God's word in so many ways. There's so many podcasts. There's so many preachers. Everybody has their favorites. But I would tell you this. Nothing compares to reading God's word for yourself. Right? Nothing compares to you going and saying, God, your teachings are here. Your, your preaching is here in the word first. And I want to access it for myself. Right? I want to encourage you. Listen, nothing like firsthand revelation. Because everything else is secondhand. Right? We don't like secondhand smoking, so we shouldn't have secondhand preaching either. Right? And I think it's awesome that we gather to hear God's word, but I think during, especially during this crisis, we have all this time to be at home. Why not go into the word of God and let the teaching of the apostles continue to mold you and shape you? Because I hope you read in Acts, but I hope you keep going. Because from there, it's all the teachings that, that God wants you to have. Because it's not enough to invite Jesus into your life. Now you've got to let God's word mold you and shape you into his image, into his likeness. To become a true follower of Jesus is to become a true student of his word. So, my friends, I pray we become students of God's word, right? We don't want to just be hearers of God's word. We want to be doers of God's word. And there's nothing like getting first-hand revelation. And the beauty of this is that now all of us have this. You see, these first believers didn't have all these books. All they had was the apostles literally teaching them and breaking down the Old Testament for them because they didn't have the New Testament. They were literally writing the New Testament as they were doing life. Literally, that's what was happening. And so what we have today is old and new in one place. We have the 66 books available to us to know the teachings. And Paul the Apostle, which you're going to meet in Acts chapter 9, who hated his first believers, didn't believe that they were doing the will of God until Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And, and he has an incredible transformation of heart and mind. And he becomes one of the greatest missionaries in the history of Christianity. And he begins to write these letters to these specific churches in different cities to help them understand how to live according to God's will. And Paul, writing to one of his mentees, Timothy, he says this about God's word. In, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's what the apostles' teaching is all about, right? It, it tells you here clearly that, listen, first of all, he wants to teach you what is true, because there's a lot of things that are not true in our lives, right? And he wants to make sure that we're not living a lie. We're not settling for something less than his will for us, right? And he tells you that sometimes the word of God comes to tell you what's wrong, right? I know none of us want to hear what's wrong, right? We all want the good vibes, right? But God is so good and faithful that he's like, I'm not going to lie to you. I need to tell you what's wrong so you know what to correct and what to do right. And so sometimes, even when I'm preaching, I believe God is downloading things in your life if you're paying attention to what he wants to fix, what he wants to make sure that you're being corrected to his will and his purpose. Again, God never comes to condemn you. He never comes to judge you. God always comes to expose you, to heal you. He wants to make you better. 
It's like surgery, right? It's going to hurt, but you're going to feel better after surgery, right? We don't, you don't want a band-aid on a broken leg. You want surgery. You want to be healed. And that's what God's word does. He comes to really correct deep things in our lives that are not God's will. And I believe that if you're paying attention, God knows exactly where you are. He's exactly what you need, right? And not only does he correct you, but he teaches you to do what's right, right? A lot of times I tell people, it's the wrong approach to life to keep worrying about what you're doing wrong. The better question is, what am I doing right? Right? If I'm only focused on what I'm doing wrong, I'm always going to live this defensive life. But if I can know what's right, then I can live on the offense and, and do the things that God's called me to do. I don't believe Christianity is about not doing anything wrong. Christianity is about doing the right things. That God has empowered you already to live according to his spirit. Can you say amen? amen. And then, my friends, it says that the breaking of bread was part of their fellowship, right? Breaking of bread is powerful because it has two meanings there. First meaning was that every time they gather, they remember the words of Jesus. Jesus said, wherever you meet, you break bread to remember the sacrifice that I did on your behalf. Jesus said, when you're having a meal and you break bread and you're having wine or grape juice for 21st century, is that you're remembering that my Body was broken for you, and my, and my blood was shed for you. And so these first believers would meet together often to break bread, to remember Jesus. And the cool thing is, if you read the first century Christians, what they would do is, they would literally sit around a table and tell stories about Jesus. And, and remember the miracles, remember the teachings, remember the testimonies. And then they would begin to celebrate the testimonies in their midst, just like we do with prayer requests and praise reports. So that's what they would do. They would say, hey, remember when Jesus healed this man? And, and remember when he touched this? And then they begin to say, okay, he's still doing that right now. Like he's still right now touching and healing and restoring. And so breaking the bread is powerful. And I encourage you, even at home, you can break bread. More than ever, sit down with your families. Right? We've been forced to be at home. Why not sit home and, and, and tell stories of Jesus and tell your testimonies to your own kids? Sometimes your kids need to hear what God has done in your life. Right? So breaking the bread is, is, is part of this fellowship. It's part of this togetherness. Right? That we can't be together right now, but at home you can. Right? Even if you want to have communion, get a piece of bread. Right? Get, get some juice and say, Jesus, I just want to remember what you've done for me. I just want to be able to have communion. And then have it with your kids. Have it with your spouse and whoever you live with, because that's one of the symbols that Jesus is right in our midst. I love that Jesus one time said that they, people will always have different opinions of him. And he said, you know, John the Baptist came and you guys said he was weird because he ate locusts and honey and he wore weird stuff. And he says, Jesus said, then you guys criticize me because you said that I eat too much and I hang out with sinners. You know, it was one of the things I pray we are very close to Jesus is how much we eat. You know, it's, I love that, that Jesus said, hey, listen, if you eat a lot, you're like me. Because the key, though, my friends, was that it wasn't so much about eating. It was about being with other people. Yeah. Jesus understood the power of community, that when you're eating, you're breaking barriers, right? And you're able to, to have conversations with people. And I pray that once this thing is all over, that we continue to have that. And we open our homes and, and become hospitable and let people come into the life that Jesus has for all of us. Amen. So fellowship means togetherness. You know, here at New Life, the way that we do that is through crews. You know, right now we have seven, 79 different crews meeting throughout our region, right? Why? Because more than ever, people want to be together. I actually just heard an amazing praise report that now we have people signing up for crews 
all over the states and all over the world. Like, we just had someone sign up for crew in Ghana. Go figure, right? Here we are in New Bedford. Someone is plugged into one of our crews in Ghana, you know? And, and, and I love that because I'm African, so shout out to Africa <laughs> out there. But how cool is that, that no matter where you are right now, you can be part of a crew. You can be part of a group of people who are trying to do life together. You have a support system. You have people who can pray with you. You have people who can believe with you. And, and you know, we're talking about the things of God, and some things, sometimes it feels complicated. You read the Bible, you don't understand it. Well, guess what? You have a group of people. You can ask questions, and you guys can wrestle together. And sometimes, to be honest with you, none of us have the answers, right? But we're together, right? We're trying to figure this out together. And again, where the Spirit of God is, Jesus is right there teaching you. So I encourage you. Join a crew today. If you're not part of those 79 crews, there's one for you, yeah. right? And you can find one today on our website. But that's how we try to live this reality that they lived 2,000 years ago, right? And then prayer, my friends. I know a lot of times in the Christian realm, we, we say, you know, pray about it. But do we really pray? Because they prayed, man. Like, you can't read the book of Acts without seeing prayer, right? I hope you keep reading Acts because every other chapter, they, they were praying, Right? Because they knew that when we're praying, we're bringing heaven to earth. Like I always say, Christianity was never about going to heaven. It was about bringing heaven to earth. Right? When you're praying, you're interceding. You're, you're asking God to continue to move in this earth. You're asking God to continue to have his way. Jesus said, pray that things will be done in heaven as it is done on earth. Right? So when, when believers are praying, heaven is responding. Right? Matter of fact, prayer is how heaven responds. See, heaven doesn't respond to our whining. Heaven doesn't respond to our complaining. Heaven doesn't respond to, you know, woe is me, poor is me. You know, that's okay. Those things are fine as part of life. But heaven responds when you go, God, but you, you are powerful. You can do all things. You know, that's basically, if you want to get God's attention, start calling on him. I encourage you, go read the Gospels. Every time someone got Jesus' attention because they started praying. And God will hear any prayer. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is a man who had a son and he was demon-possessed and no one seemed to be able to help him. And, and, he, and he went to Jesus and he said, man, can you help us? And Jesus says, do you believe I can? And I love this man's prayer because he was honest. He said, listen, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, there's a part of me, Lord, that's like, I do believe. And there's a part of me that's like, can you really, though? I love that. Because guess what? Jesus didn't go, oh, you were a little faith. He says, your son will be healed. Jesus will answer any prayer that's directed at him. Remember what he said. He said, all it takes is a mustard seed. This mustard seed is very small. And it becomes a massive tree, right? So pray where you are, right? Don't let prayer be the last resort. Let it be the first thing that you do. And pray about everything. These believers prayed about everything that they were encountering. I want to give you one example of a powerful prayer in the book of Acts. If you've been reading it, Acts chapter 4, these believers, man, they were so into prayer. And here's what happened one time they were praying together in Acts 4, verse 31. It says, after this prayer, right, after they prayed, God, give us boldness, give us courage. We want to take your mission forward. Look what the Bible says. The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preach the word of God with boldness. I love that. When you pray, something shakes, right? It may not be the ground, but it could be all of the chains that's trying to hold you back, right? When you pray, demons tremble. 
right? When you pray, breakthrough comes, right? When you pray, you, you get courage, you get healing, you get boldness. Listen, I don't know what you're going through today, but stop calling on Jesus. Just begin to call on him. Listen, I want to tell you right now, you have the authority to, to fill your house with peace. You have the authority to have breakthrough in your home. You know, we've been hearing a lot of people saying that we've been feeling some weird things at home. Listen, it's time to pray. It's time to take the word of God and say, God, you're going to be the God of this house. You're going to be the God of this family. You're going to be the God over this marriage. You're going to be the God over my children. You're going to be the God over my finances. I refuse to be in fear of my finances, God. You're my provider. You're my healer. You're Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. Listen, begin to pray exactly where you are and refuse to be a victim to any circumstance you find yourself in. Listen, we'll pray for you right now. Just, just leave a prayer request right now. And we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you on the spot. Can you say amen? amen? And then my friends, the Bible says that they were so in tune with God's spirit that they didn't want anyone to lack anything in their community. How awesome is that? To be so in tune with God that you're like, it's not just about me, myself, and I. It's about all of us. And so they begin to sell everything. How, that's a radical faith, right? They were so in tune with the spirit. They're like, listen, it's not about me anymore. It's about all of us. And no one in our midst should go without having the basic needs. That is powerful. And here, my friends, here's how we're trying to live out this truth in the middle of this crisis. This is why we tithe, right? Tithing is not an obligation. Tithing to me is a privilege, that I say, God, I'm bringing my 10% so that your house can be taken care of and your people can be taken care of, right? And so guess what? When all of us do that, now we have a pool to pull from and be able to help those who are in need. And, and the way that we're doing that right now is on Tuesdays, we'll be giving out gift cards to families in need. No questions asked. If you come to the office, we'll just give you a gift card to go get some groceries. And the last few weeks since this crisis, we've given out over 700 gift cards. Why? Because of the generosity of God's people. We're not able to do that if people are not giving, right? And on Thursdays, we've been doing the food pantry, a drive-through food pantry, you know, and, and going by all the CDC regulations and social distancing and all of that. I just want to put that out there. And the last few weeks, we've been able to help over 6,000 people just get basic groceries. Why? Because we all said, God, it's not okay for our neighbors to go without what they need. And, and on top of that, we've been able to partner with so many local organizations and just be able to have local shelters in, in different places in need. Why? Because that is what generosity looks like. And God's people raise up. I think more than ever, this is the time for church to show itself. It's true colors, right? And generosity should be a major staple of God's people, right? This is why we give every week. We're in this building because the people gave. Like, People come here and they're amazed that we have this place. They're like, how in the world, in New Bedford, how can you have a place like this? Well, because of the generosity. Everybody said, God, we believe that we can have a place where the house of God can be powerful, can be majestic, when people can go and find healing and marriages can be healed and, and, and young people can find a place, their identity in Christ. And so we all pull together to see this thing come to pass. And it's because the people are generous. It's one of the things that blows my mind about this community. We're not perfect, but we're generous. You know, I just love how generous people are because here we are in a, in a place where the social economics is not the greatest, but we don't lack. Why? Because God is faithful. 
to provide for us. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.